Yo, what's up, Tennessee Progressives? This is Rome back again for Tennessee Progressive League podcast. Uh, I guess we'll say episode three. There's some I have uh, not put out yet, but I appreciate you guys checking in with me. You could be listening to anything, but you're listening to me right now. Uh, I have two guests today from the 360 Collective, which I stumbled upon, I want to say on Facebook one day. And uh was just like, wow, this is I can't believe somebody's doing this. This is informative. This is interesting. Um, so without further ado, Mr. Isaac Castellez, Mr. Timothy Hampton. Hello, welcome, and uh please introduce yourselves. Isaac, you want to go first? Oh, okay, sure. Peace and greetings, everybody. Uh, my name is Isaac Castellez. Uh I live in Chicago. Uh I am an educator by trade. I've been a teacher, an administrator, principal, now an education consultant. Uh, work with Tim and a few others through the 360 Collective, uh, through which we confront issues of race, race relations, racial justice, and injustice. And we try to get involved in in whatever ways we can as we explore those issues and try to try to bring them to the forefront for open democratic uh, conversation. My name is Timothy Hampton, and uh, I am an entrepreneur, uh, an author and an activist. Uh, I'm also a veteran and uh, a graduate of Western Michigan University as well, and the University of Connecticut where I studied uh, various things. But uh, I, I think the most important thing is that I'm, I'm here to make a contribution to the discussion, make a contribution to the struggle uh, and try and shed light on some of these things that, that, that we're talking about here to the best of my ability. Hey, that is awesome. Um, and once again, I want to say I appreciate the work that uh, both you guys do with the 360 Collective and everyone involved with that, because you definitely are bringing light to things that a lot of people it's not that something like, say, is ignored. It's a lot of times this stuff people don't even know they don't know. Um and it's crazy because in this day and age where everyone, you know, for the most part, um, at least in the Western world, has access to like Google, um, has like Internet, smartphones, that there's so much knowledge that people don't know about at all. Um, it's crazy. But I once again do appreciate you guys uh, joining me. I had um, asked you on because of a conversation you had, I believe it was last Wednesday. Um, and I want to dive into that. But I also want to say, um, or I guess ask you guys, would you call yourselves um, involved in social justice? Do you feel like there's a negative connotation to that, to the the term social justice? I think I, I think it's possible, depending on the circle that you're traveling in, uh, because there's an incredible amount of pushback right now in the media and in society in general and even in education sometimes uh there's a pushback to social justice and ideas of institutionalized injustice and things like that so yeah i i think we are involved in in well i am personally involved in social justice and i think there is incredible pushback right now uh with the sentiment of backlash that's traveling through society I think there's incredible back to social justice and those involved in that. Yeah, I agree, Tim. Uh, 
terms like social justice in some in some circles and in a lot of mainstream places as well does have a negative connotation i mean we 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 hear words like social justice warrior hurled at us all the time in conversations that we that we often get into the other thing that is quite popular now among more conservative people or people who are trying to protect the status quo is the weaponization of the word woke you know go woke go broke is one of the things that we see and we encounter often in you know in in our efforts through 360 collective and and sort of that that point of view represents exactly the kind of resistance and the status quo and the kind of climate that we i think are seeking to change as social justice activists and as people who are who are advocating for for progress in this country man i love the fact that you pointed out the uh how they also tried to commandeer the terminology woke um and in very insightful um thoughts from both you guys tim and isaac in regards to the uh social justice i i do think that's one of the things conservatives excel at they take terminology and then demonize it um because honestly if you were to say social justice warrior, most people are going to take the context of that as like derisive or mocking, but like people died for social justice. If that's not a warrior, what is, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's a real thing. Like they fought and died for social justice. Um, but you are right. Uh, I think I personally want to sort of try to take that terminology back because I, I think it's fitting it social justice is a real thing you know it's worthy of uh the fight so once again i appreciate you guys for doing that absolutely man i, I think uh i was thinking about this earlier today in that uh the fight has to take place the struggle has to continue the battle must go on you have to maintain the visual and it's about finding your energy for that and finding your motivation and maintaining a level of commitment for that. And that's really the most difficult part. Uh, but I'm glad that people like yourself keep finding a way to do it. Hey, man, I appreciate that. Um, So once again, I'm here with the 360 Collective. Uh, every, I believe Wednesday, right? 8 p.m. You guys have a open like forum conversation uh educational sort of just give people knowledge and i believe it was last week if i'm not wrong um you guys did one about a a town that had existed and now for all intents and purposes sort of has just been wiped off the map or i think literally was wiped off the map um oscarville and what is in america not really that a peculiar situation like most places that had a black population at some point they've been displaced either via means of just direct aggression or through like policy um when you were studying about oscarville was there anything about that to you that struck you as peculiar or did that pretty much just seem like business as usual in the historical united states Business as usual. I think I said in the presentation, we had a brief discussion in the presentation about how Oscarville was uh, set upon and destroyed after 1912. Uh, but they had done the same thing to the Native Americans in the area between 1830 and 1838. 
uh, when Forsyth County was being founded and they were in, in part of the Trail of Tears. So it's business as usual in, in the United States when you talk about expelling people of culture from a particular area or a community, uh, city, state, or county, because it, it, it's really difficult to articulate other than just say that our humanity the humanity of black and brown people historically in this country has not been recognized as valid. Therefore, we have no rights. And I think that's something that uh, historically needs to be really discussed and really pinpointed, dissected, because I think it, it there's been a trickle-down effect. And we still are not really recognized in that way as far as our humanity is concerned, but yeah, it's business as usual. Business as usual, these ex expulsions. Oscarville was just one. It was Seneca Village in Central Park in New York. And, you know, the more popular, more common knowledge would be the Tulsa, uh, the, the destruction of Black Wall Street. So, yeah, business as usual is part of a backlash. Uh, for example, Oscarville was started, was was founded in 1870 during the Reconstruction. But the backlash that came through white rage and white supremacy uh, to destroy the gains that were made during Reconstruction and after Reconstruction uh, was was evident. And towns like Oscarville and others were destroyed during the nadir of American history between 1877 and about 1923. Yeah, um, and I'm sorry, Isaac, did you have something you wanted to add to that? Well, Rome, when you when you describe it as business as usual, I mean that's not only figuratively true; it's it's literally true in the in the in the in the most exact sense. And and what I mean by that is that in the time period that Tim just articulated, the eighteen sixties, eighteen seventies, the U.S. government was giving out land grants to uh, white settlers to move west to occupy land which had had once been inhabited by indigenous peoples. Not only that, but they they provided education. They provided uh, loans, credits, grants um, of cash and resources, um, college education. There are dozens of universities that were founded in this country simply on the basis of training people to develop and till and organize land, which had been stolen from indigenous, uh, indigenous peoples. Now, of course, black people people of color had no access to those to those things. Um, so when we talk about also the railroad, Abraham Lincoln, during the Civil War, now mind you, the war, the, the country is in the midst of being torn apart. Abraham Lincoln was determined to continue to develop the railroads to perpetuate Western expansion while the country is literally fighting for its, its, its soul and for its life. That's how important expansion, growth, imperialism was at that time. And of course, the, the money funded that funded the expansion of the railroad west those these were co large corporations that lincoln knew as a lawyer ever before setting foot uh in uh, in the presidency in the white house and so business as usual has a has a literally true sense when we talk about the destruction of uh indigenous uh civilization in north america and specifically when it comes to Oscarville, which grew and prospered despite not having access to any of the things that I just mentioned to you uh, a second ago, and that's what made it such a threatening uh, place in the in the eyes of uh, white white people in Forsyth County. 
Yeah, and it's um, it's it's really telling because, you know, obviously, um, have the the period of reconstruction when it's built where you know there's optimism, there's hope, there's there's actual you know black people elected and in, into offices and things of that nature, um, and then you know once the federal troops leave, it's it's pretty much just the open season on any black affluent you know areas or or any black people of political sway um i know in tennessee the actual governor was pretty much chased out uh at gunpoint uh he was a, a unionist dude who had you know uh become the governor um after the civil war a large part and because he had been a unionist he was actually based in knoxville um and it's crazy because when you read Tennessee history or civil war history, like they definitely don't talk about things like that. Right. But it's the actual history. So like, why wouldn't you get into the weeds? Well, because then you have to show, well, there was a regression. And if there's a regression, like, you know, that that's on purpose. Like, you know what I'm saying? Someone's actively clawing away gains from this group of people who basically just got considered humans post-civil war i think that's 100 percent true I, I think that's accurate uh the uh the fact of the matter is if they illustrate the backlash if they publicize the backlash talk about the backlash educate about the backlash and backlash is cyclical it happens every time groups make progress in this country there's there is a backlash it happened uh, after the Reconstruction era with the nadir of American history sweeping in with the Black Codes and then Jim Crow uh, to strip away the rights that had been won uh, during, during and after the Civil War. Uh, and with the uh, Civil Rights Movement, the Civil Rights era, there was a backlash directly related to the Civil Rights era. And if we move it even further into the future, to contemporary times, it was the, we're experiencing a tremendous backlash after the uh, election of President Obama. Tremendous backlash from straight up white rage in society. And you can call it what you will, but I think the bottom line is just that's what it is. There's a sense of conservatives. I, I know you guys were throwing that term around uh, a little earlier, losing their grip on American society and American culture and this white Christian identity in America being a, a white Christian nation, you know, and that's people are, people are white supremacists in particular are, they feel as though they're losing their grip on the United States and they're, they're, it's a very desperate time for them. And they're taking some very, very desperate measures to maintain their control of the status quo. Uh, like you were saying, I, uh, with uh, some of the uh, rogue politicians, like you know, Ron DeSantis in Florida banning education, banning, banning specific parts of education because they just don't want that information out there. Because like you said, Mo, they, then they have to, then it's on purpose. You can tell it's out there in the open. This was actually done to people and why? business as usual um yeah right i'm sorry go ahead Isaac. okay i think also um that's that's a great a great segue to 
to what I'm thinking though too, Tim, which is folks like DeSantis and folks that want to protect the status quo don't necessarily want, they want to hide history not be not only because of, of the horrors that it will expose, it will also expose the fact that at every turn, there have been interracial alliances. There have been people who've worked together to push for progress and advocate together. DeSantis and people like him, they benefit. And even frankly, some folks in the liberal establishment, you know, in the mainstream democratic establishment, they benefit from all of this race-based rhetoric that will keep folks divided. But what our history will tell us is that even from the founding of this country from the 1770s, there were interracial alliances. There were people working together to try to advance the cause of humanity in this country. Unfortunately, what has always won in every single case was the cause of expansion, race-based imperialism in, in this country. So when there was a debate in, 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 in 1776 about the, the, the position that this country would take on slavery, Southern states said, we won't join any union where there's any language uh, criticizing or standing against slavery whatsoever. So it was removed completely from the Declaration of, of Independence, and it ultimately led to the, to, the civil, to the Civil War. And so at every turn in this country, even in the 1960s, there is a civil rights movement, there is progress made. But as the Vietnam War escalates, then the, the, then the civil rights now becomes the enemy of, of American imperialism, of fighting communism overseas. And so when Dr. King speaks out against the war in Vietnam, he then becomes um, even more of an enemy to the American institution than he was previous to that. And ultimately, you know, that leads to his, to his um, assassination. So, um, so rights in this country, progress in this country have only been um, sort of like random, sort of, uh, sort of just like haphazard to to American imperialism and the cause of, of American, you know, world domination and supremacy. No, you're so very right. And um, what you just said actually brought me back to something you said earlier when you were talking about um, the land grant, the land grant opportunities and whatnot. I know one of the speeches I'm familiar with, with MLK is where he's speaking about, you know, how, they basically did build like a middle class via investing in education and helping them establish themselves when they were, you know, basically parceling out Native American land. Um, and Martin Luther King brings that up. We just had Martin Luther King Day. And you notice that's not one of the, the phrases people want to put on Facebook or one of the quotes. You know, it's so cool to put on Twitter to show how you love Martin Luther King. Um, so it's like, yeah, man. Um, you, you are definitely, definitely right in that regard. Um, and also right in the regard of they have from the beginning chosen to put distinctions in place to try to stymie solidarity. Um, one of the first laws, you know, that is passed in what we now know as the United States was to, you know, separate uh, black men and white women from, you know, being able to be in relationships because they saw once you start building families, once these people, you know, relate to each other, there's a problem. And the way we get around it from the other end of it is, oh, well, if it's a black woman, she's a slave. So she has no rights. It doesn't matter. Um, but also, uh, Tim, you were talking about the nadir, nadir of race relations. 
bringing it back to Tennessee, one of the things that um, I know about Tennessee history as far as during that time period is 1919. All across the country, we're having race riots. I think they call it the Red Summer, actually, because of how many um, racial riots were going on during that time. I use the terminology race riots. 99.9% of these, probably 100 from my reading, were attacks on black people. So it wasn't like a mutual, you know, oh, everyone's fighting everyone. Um, these were black communities being destroyed. I know Knoxville had one. And um, the thing that sort of caught my attention, attention rather, with the Oscarville was something very similar happened in a town called Irwin, Tennessee. It's called the Irwin Expulsion. And I had never heard about this until some years later doing my own research. If you Google them, the most famous news story that you will see is about the time they uh, tried and convicted an elephant for murder because it stampeded. They got a crane. They hung it. Uh, true story. But that's what comes up when you try to find out about this town. Uh, I'll, I'll get y'all's response to that and uh, I'll, I'll come back. They tried and hung an elephant. They tried, convicted, and hung an elephant. Okay. Well, yeah, that's uh yeah. I mean, I think I think that is one thing that points to the absurdity of uh some of the things that have happened in this country of surrounding race relations and the concept of race and white supremacy. Uh it's absurd. I think that much like trying, convicting, and hanging an elephant for stampeding, for wanting to be free, wanting to stop being poked and prodded and pointed at and uh, made fun of and having peanuts thrown at it, uh, much like the struggle for freedom for black and brown people in this country, they had a condition they called the drapedomania. And it was something that they assigned to slaves that kept trying to escape. Oh, he has drapedomania. There's gotta be something wrong with him. He wants to be free. Uh, you know, I think it's the same thing. It's that absurdity that the concept of race and white supremacy and this uh, concept of superior and inferior have done to humanity. Uh, it's absurd. It mirrors mental, mental illness for one individual to say to another one, I'm better than you because my skin is a different hue and really truly believe it i mean if you really have, you really have to wrap your mind around how loose that argument actually is i'm better than you because my skin is different than you it's a little bit lighter you really you really have to try to go a long way to understand the mental disconnect there is with an argument like that so yeah i think it's 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 absurd i think it's absurd and I think it's part and parcel of the absurdity of the race concept in the United States. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the, the elephant actually got a trial. I mean, that, I mean, how, I mean, thousands of, of, of black men, women, and even in some cases, children were, were executed with, with much less cause than it sounds like this, this elephant got. So um, something that we talked about, Tim, when we discussed Oscarville was, the kind of rage, the kind of mental place that a person must be in to beat another person to to death, not not someone who's attacking you, attempting to take your life away from you, 
but simply a person that has disobeyed an instruction or who has fallen short of, of an expectation, like beating the person literally to, to death. Like wh what kind of person, what kind of mentality does it take to do something like that? And just to echo what, what you said, Tim, I mean, whiteness is a mental, a mental disorder. I mean, there's no white person in America who can define what makes them white without alluding in some way, shape, or form to their privilege or to our privilege. Let me say it that way. I can't say that I'm a white person because my family eats pierogies, right? That's what makes me Polish. Uh, I can't say that I'm white because my family comes from, from Ireland or I have ancestors in Ireland. Well, that's what makes me part Irish. What makes me white? whiteness and being from someplace in Europe are two completely different things. And so when any white person takes the time to think about what in fact makes them white and they disaggregate all the things that connect them back to the continent of Europe or a country in Europe, the only thing that one can be left with is privilege, unearned or otherwise, um, and, and, and a false sense of entitlement, superiority, and what have you. So I, I do. I, I concur with what you said, Tim. Whiteness is a is a mental disorder that you know affects us all, but but obviously white white people, so called white people in in particular. Uh, just adding to that, the the thing that's crazy is using the viewpoint that you're speaking of is the fact that, and then we can go look at various times in history where people have been included in whiteness, right? Like at first they weren't but now they are and it's like well damn if it's that arbitrary like what meaning does it have at all and then we come back to the point that you just made right on yeah i i think uh I, the irish for example uh and then the italians you know they didn't Greeks. get in until, until recently yes they didn't get in until recently the irish had a rough time getting in. i mean the irish were really the first savage I was really one of the first ones that were colonized and, and brutalized. Uh, but, you know, that that's a discussion for another time. But, yeah, it, it's uh, really, really unfortunate that so many people have actually taken the time to believe wholeheartedly, you know, from the depths of their soul to the tops of their intellect that, their skin color makes them better. And the fact that someone else's skin color makes them worse. And that fact makes them eligible for all kinds of tyranny and demoralization and dehumanization. And the fact that their land can be just ripped out from under them. And this is still happening. I think we talked about a case in Colorado where a farmer with a thousand acres has filed hundreds of complaints against his neighbors for harassment and nothing has been done. And now he's the one that's up on charges and they're trying their best to run him out of town. You know? uh, I believe not to, not to cut across you, but I believe, uh, is that the one where like the, the guy working on the ranch, they like found him dead and were like, yo, like, I wouldn't be surprised. I'm not hundred percent sure we're talking about the same thing, but they've, they've been killing this guy's livestock. They've been sabotaging his equipment. Uh, yeah, it's it's still happening. It's still happening. It's still happening. And, and, and the fact that it's not happening on a large scale uh, in the public eye, 
doesn't change anything because black farmers have been catching hell throughout history, throughout the country. And they still are to this day. Their land is being taken from them by any means necessary uh, with government complicity. You know, it's uh, really a rough situation and it's very frustrating and it, and it stokes your passions. It really, really does. Right. Yeah, it's, it's Courtney and Nicole Mallory. If your listeners are interested to learn more, the the family in question, um, the couple, Courtney and Nicole Mallory. Thank you, Colorado. Yep. Thank yeah, you. I appreciate that information, man. Um, in and sort of just adding on to that, like, so we've sort of we see the trend. Um, we mentioned, you know, Black Wall Street, Oscarville. Uh, I brought up Irwin, which Irwin, Tennessee, Irwin Expulsion. If anyone wants to Google it. Uh, hopefully I get to sort of tell a more in-depth story because um, that it's 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 just really freaking crazy. Um, and the only reason I became aware of it, I actually worked for a company that was based out of there. And I was just like the way these people operate and like think I was like, bro, something is up with this place. So I was like, let me find out about this place. And then lo and behold i find out about this and i'm like okay so now i sort of understand a little bit more about them um but so we got the Irwin thing we see this trend of taking property uh my mom she was born in 1950 sorry mom if i put your age out there um and she told me like literally they had a house that they owned they had a church in the community that they went to she had a school in the community that she went to like all that got torn down to build the interstate system, right? Stay tuned for part two with the 360 Collective in the Tennessee Progressive League podcast.